Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Today we're in 1 Corinthians again, this time chapter 8. So we're going to pray, Holy Spirit, we love you. We need you. Breathe on us today. Speak to us today. Sharpen us. Challenge us. Move in us, Lord. Change us. Let us be made like Jesus today by the power of you working in our hearts and your word working in us as well. Amen. Awesome. Here we go. So, good morning, Flor. Buenos dias. Uh, We are looking at chapter 8, 1 Corinthians. So Paul says now, so bear in mind he's responding to a letter that the Corinthian church had written to him asking him certain questions and he'd talked about um, marriage and good morning Fran. Uh, He talked about marriage yesterday and now he's talking about food that has been sacrificed to idols. Now, it would seem that it was commonplace in Greek society to have um, temples. I don't know if you've ever been to Ephesus, the ruins of Ephesus. You can see the temples everywhere. It's literally, it's like pubs in old-fashioned kind of bits of Sheffield or Manchester where there's a pub on every corner and there's a pub, there's, there's literally a, a temple to some idol on every corner or every couple of streets there's a there's a temple to some deity or other in Ephesus and I'm sure Corinth was exactly the same but the worship of these idols and deities people used to offer meat and then it was sold um, at cut price in the market nearby and you kind of just assumed that if it was decent cheap meat it had probably been offered to an idol it had been taken part in some aspect of idol worship of course the idol can't eat it so it's going to be there to be sold and make a bit of money no doubt on the on the back of it to help keep the idolatry cult going (laughs) however let's move on so Paul says now so you could buy this food it was cheap and it was it Paul um when the when we did the book of Acts we looked at how the council in Jerusalem wrote a letter to the Gentile believers. And one of the things they said was abstain from food sacrificed to idols. But that was obviously a word that had a temporary kind of lifespan. And now this is a hot debate again in the Corinthian church where they're surrounded by um, idol worship on every corner of every street. So good morning, Tracy Ann and Kathy. So now it says, now concerning food offered to idols, we we know that all of us possess knowledge. 
This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. (laughs) But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Right, so Paul is here saying, well, there we go. You, every one of us has some kind of knowledge, and I'm sure what he's also saying there is, I'm sure we've all got our opinions about these things. We've got our opinion based on a certain amount of knowledge. And he said, but this isn't the, this is not the critical factor in this discussion. He says, actually, it's much more important to be known by God. Good morning, Sally. And this is really important. And and I just want to draw, focus in on this little statement here. This knowledge, in inverted commas, puffs up, but love builds up. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen an Indian person making roti, which are basically chapatas, and then they put them... Um, they put them over a flame and they pop open like a whoopee cushion and they just got slightly toasted by the flame and the air the um, air inside expands and they are gorgeous. They are just such a delicious thing to have with your meal and I, I love it. I just love Indian food, love watching them make it. I... Uh, just I, I come home and I'm like inspired and I'm suddenly the man in the kitchen trying to do this. Anyway, the thing with rotis is that they're flatbread, but they're puffed up by the application of the heat. And they're like a little tiny balloon, but made of lovely crusty flatbread. Delicious. And Paul says that knowledge is like that. It literally inflates us. It makes us look bigger than we are. So if I come out with some fancy words and some bits of knowledge, and blokes are terrible, aren't they? They just launch into sharing bits of knowledge with you that you didn't ask for. It's like their way of making... I do it. I'm guilty. I'll say, oh, did you know? And launch some random fact on people that they may or may not have known and they may may or may not be remotely interested in. But (laughs) I... It's my kind of guy thing where we do we do this and we we kind of f- flow out this bits of knowledge we've picked up off the radio or something off the TV. I'm gonna have a slurp. Excuse me if I slurp. And uh, and <laughs> knowledge is kind of interesting and informative, but also it makes us look good. And the professors and people like. Brian Cox and all these kind of people they're amazing aren't they they're full of knowledge and you go oh aren't they amazing haven't they got an incredible brain to know all that stuff well yes maybe but knowledge puffs up it makes us look whoops it it makes us look bigger than we really are but Paul says here that love builds up love edifies now that word there is a really really interesting word it's oikodomeo, which means builds up, literally in the same way, and and it's used in terms of building a house. So we could say, love builds a house. Knowledge inflates me, makes me look good, but love builds a house. I think that is a good word right there. Apostle Paul, well done. Knowledge inflates Me makes me look good, but love builds a house. Love constructs something where people can come and be home. 
Wowzers. That is why when Paul talks in chapter 13 of the, the most famous chapter in the whole Bible, probably, he talks about love. And if we can understand this about love and God's love in particular, but the love that we express through him and this love, the word there isn't sloppy, kind of romantic love. Oh, I love you. Oh, oh love you, hun. Or any just none of that kind of weak wishy-washy, social media kind of guff. Love you, hun. It's not that. It's something so much more. This is agape. This is the sacrificial love that Jesus, more than any other human being who's ever walked the face of the earth, embodies and brings to life. Now, the word agape is an entirely Christian, biblical word. It didn't exist in common usage until the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. And then the Christians took it on and they made it into their word, agape. It's, it's the word that defines and describes the love of God in sacrificing himself for you and me. And Paul says that kind of love builds a house. Wowzers. So you got your, it doesn't, we don't have to ban knowledge. We don't have to give up, desist on the pursuit of knowledge. We don't have to stop learning. But Paul's saying, just understand something. Knowledge may make you look great and it may inflate you. May, and it has benefit, obviously. If you don't know how to um, work your computer, you need knowledge to know how to do that, don't you? So there is benefit in knowledge, of course. But there's something so much more precious about love which builds a house for people. So he says, verse four, therefore, so this is the context of what Paul's about to say to us. Therefore, so because of this, because love builds a house, as the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. So he's saying, listen, the idol is nothing. There is only one God. And that's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so verse 5, he says, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, so Paul's saying, I'm not saying there aren't any deities with a small d, you know, that have got some power and some influence in the cosmos or in, in heaven and on earth. I'm not saying that there are none of those things. There may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods with a, he's using quotation marks and he's like saying gods and lords. They're, they, yeah, they're kind of so-called. There are many gods and lords, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all are from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one lord jesus christ through whom all <laughs> are all things and through whom we exist i didn't read that very well but this is the point that paul is making that whatever spiritual powers there may be in the cosmos there is one god and he is the father He's the father from whom everything exists and for whom everything exists. And there is one Lord. There is one king. There's one to be worshipped. And that is Jesus Christ. 
Can you believe that? For the Jew, this is monumentally scandalous to be saying that this Jesus Christ who was crucified is actually the Lord who we should all be worshipping. It's also monumentally offensive to the Greeks whose temples to Artemis and Zeus and all of the the pantheon of Greek gods are littering the streets. They're literally up every street. You can't miss all these temples. And you can imagine people hearing this gospel that Paul's preaching and saying, well, what about what about Artemis and what about Zeus and what about um, all the other ones? I've forgotten them all. Just, uh, you know, are you telling me that this is not true? It's like when, when we say there's one God, there's one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. And people say, yeah, but what about Hinduism? And what about Buddhism? And what about Islam? And all these things. And you could say, well, yeah, same thing. There's one God, and there's one Lord. is Jesus Christ. It is he. We don't... Is we don't have to spend our whole lives assassinating or trying to demolish other people's religions and faiths, but we do need to be clear that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I've had such a challenge with people who have embraced the New Age movement because when we say there is only one way, they are offended. They are attracted to Jesus because he's powerful and he can do miracles and they can see him touching people when we pray for people. So that awakens an interest. But when you say, no, this is, Jesus is the way. He's, there is, there is only one and is he. That is offensive to people. Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> I suppose it's a bit like saying, you know, if you're in Weymouth, there's one way to Dorchester, isn't there? <laughs> it's north. You get on the big road, goes to Dorchester. There's a way that you can get there. You can go another way, but you'll get lost. You won't get there. You can go to Abbotsbury, but you're still going to have to divert and go back, you know, as perhaps a poor analogy, but anyway, a little slurp. So, so Paul's saying, yes, there are other deities and spiritual beings out there, but there's only one God and he is the father. And isn't that wonderful? He's the father. We're talking about love builds a house. Well, the father, he's the father of the house that love builds. Ah, oh, yes, yes, yes. And so yet for us, there is one God, the father, from whom all sorry, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So he's basically, he's using exactly the same language for Jesus as he is for the Father. He's saying it's through him that we are and we exist. It's through him that we are and we exist and for 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 whom we exist. And so he's, he's saying exactly the same thing about the Father and the Son, and kind of just bringing them together again for us in case we start thinking that God is somehow in pieces. He's not. There is one God. However, verse 7, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food 
as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. This is really, really important. He says we are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged um, if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. And so Paul's saying, listen, it... You can tell yourself that these idols are nothing, that it's irrelevant whether the food's been offered to them or not. It's not going to hurt us. We give thanks to God for it. It's sanctified. It's made holy by our thanksgiving. Paul says somewhere else, he says everything is sanctified by thanksgiving so we can eat food that's been offered to an idol or, you know, food that's not kosher. We can thank God for it as a you know, and as a believer of Jesus, and it, it doesn't do us any harm. It's not, it's made holy because of our thanksgiving. So Paul says, you can go ahead and eat this stuff, but if you're sat down, say, I don't know how they did it, but maybe they had like a courtyard and they sold this meat off and then you could sit down or maybe it was cooked. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's like a street vendor and you sit down in this area and it's clear you've bought the meat from the, uh, from the, the I was going to say, the idol factory. <laughs> I don't mean that, the um, idol temple. Um, and there you're sitting down munching away on it and you're thinking, this is great, lovely. And it's so cheap, bargain, you know, we've got a bargain. Um, and yet then someone walks by and sees you sat there eating and they know you're a brother. They know you're a sister who worships Jesus and they see you sitting in a temple courtyard eating, they may think that you're worshipping idols. And what Paul's saying is, don't trigger the thing that they've left. Don't reawaken the interest in idols that this new, or this perhaps more vulnerable believer has left behind by what you are doing in the exercising of your freedom. Now, let me give an example that's a bit more up to date for us. So there are many believers who have come to the Lord um, th from the background of addiction to some lifestyle, maybe to alcohol. And they see you sitting outside in a beer garden with a pint of beer and you're saying, yeah, you know, this is fine for me. I know this is, you know, this doesn't control my life. I'm not I'm not going to get drunk, I'm having a meal, I'm with friends, I'm just enjoying beer, you know, and here I am sitting having a beer in the sunshine, and somebody else walks by and thinks, wow, it's okay for brother so-and-so, or sister so-and-so, maybe, maybe it's okay for me, and they go back and they have a beer, and then they fall back into the kind of triggers the whole addiction cycle again and they're back into the kind of life that they left once before that may be not a great example but it's a kind of i know there are some christian cultures around the world who absolutely will say this alcohol consumption of alcohol is wrong you should not drink it as a believer it's a it's a it's a dreadful thing 
because they've seen the damage to people's lives and families through addiction to alcohol. If I, I, I've been in different cultures around the world and somewhere Christians drink and somewhere they don't. Like you go to France and the minute church is over, there's a picnic and everybody's got the red wine out and it's very ordinary um, and the kids are there, the families are there. Nobody's getting slaughtered and behaving badly. It's just part of their normal life. And, and that seems very, very normal to them. I've been to other countries in the world where it's the most dreadful thing on the planet. And I wouldn't even dream of drinking alcohol um, when I'm in one of those countries. Because I just think, what's the point in raising a massive question mark for them and causing maybe a conflict between us where they can't hear anything that I'm saying? Because all they can do is think this person's a drinker. You know, he's a wine bibber. Ooh. You know, you can't possibly... I don't want to have to waste my time on that kind of distracting conversation. I just want to be able to just love these people and and so and have a relationship. And so let's not get swallowed up. Let's not use our freedom and insist on it. When we, when we went to Northern Ireland all those years ago, I knew that we had some guys on our team who were really going to want to drink some Guinness because there's this idea that Guinness brewed in Ireland is better than Guinness anywhere else in the world. So so I said, listen, guys, the rule of this trip is we're not going to consume any alcohol because we're not. This isn't why we're here. We're here to engage in spiritual warfare. I don't want anybody sloping off down to the pub for a drink. While we're on, we're, we are soldiers. We're on a mission for Jesus. We don't have, we're not free people to go and do just whatever we want. And so while we're here, we're not drinking. Do you get me? <laughs> and so that was fine. And, and of course, once everyone's clear, it's, it's easy. We don't have any awkward conversations. Uh, a very interesting story, which for another day about, um, you know, being with people where two completely conflicting views on that are sat around the same table for a meal. Um, really interesting. So Paul says, "Let's listen, your food doesn't commend you to God. Don't sit there trumpeting about... I, th- this is a current one as well, isn't it? Um, in our Western liberal whatever mindset, we've got this idea. Some There's this kind of polarization now about plant-based food and animal-based food and so there's the the people who are very evangelistic about being a vegan i'm a vegan oh you know hairy dairy and all this kind of stuff and then there's the christians over here saying what a load of rubbish (laughs) or or maybe not maybe the christians are saying i'm a vegan this is more holy than you and you're when this 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 winning this argument gets us nowhere Let's just try to uh, kind of stick on the main thing and build the house. Let's love each other on this one and build the house and not get divided over whether or not it's better to eat plant protein or animal protein. I know what I think. <coughs> and if you, anyone really wants to know, buy me some steak and I'll explain. <laughs> okay, here we go. But he says, verse... Verse 8, he says, food will not commend us to God. And and this is really important and very non-Jewish because for the Jewish um, 
the the Jewish person, the the whole Jewishness is kind of lived out through very strict food laws and observing very strict codes about what you do and don't eat. And so for them, they would think that what we eat does commend us to God. But Paul saying, no, it doesn't. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he will not Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? So what you what he'll do then is he'll think um, it will just trigger him back into his old way of thinking. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Jesus died. Again, this is really important language. The brother for whom Jesus died. This is not just somebody who you can say, ah, oh, stuff it. I don't care what they think. I'm going to live how I want to live. Paul is saying, no, you have to understand the value of this person that Jesus places on them. Jesus gave his whole life for them. You can't just dismiss them and and minimise their significance. There are some things that are massively important where we may have to disagree. And even then we need to disagree lovingly, but we may have to strongly disagree. But the, the what we eat is not one of them. So let's not let that become the thing that causes a pain in the body of Christ. So he says, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak and you against Christ... Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, Paul's wrapping this thought up with the same thought that he wrapped up um, a previous chapter where he said uh, in chapter six, he says, is it is it not better to, or was it, oh, I don't know, perhaps it wasn't chapter six, um, chapter five, where he says, is it not better to suffer wrong? Is it not better to lose out? Is it not better to not eat my you know, is it better to not eat the meat and just go and have a veggie burger somewhere or something? I don't know. Just is it not better to deprive myself of a bit of pleasure, a bit of luxury for the sake of my brother? And so we're coming back to this whole thing of agape, which is that sacrificial love. And this, if we read superficially if we read the book of 1 Corinthians we can think oh Paul's so bossy he's laying down a law about this and that and the other and it's just so oppressive but actually what Paul's saying is no there is a sacrificial element to this which builds the house which builds that that place where um, God is glorified my brother is built up my sister is built up and we together become the house of God and it becomes a safe place for us. Wow, I'm going to wrap it up there. So Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Let it work in our hearts today as we reflect on it today and speak to us through it throughout the day in Jesus' name. And bless each one of us and fill us with your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Have an amazing day, everyone. God bless you.